Hey folks, welcome back. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Water Cooler. We're coming at you with a big week in sports. There's been so much going on between boxing, the NBA, Damian Lillard got traded to the Bucks, which has huge implications for this upcoming NBA season. We've got college football, MLB playoffs, so let's get into it. We're going to get started with the performance of the day. So if I take you back to... 1941, you've got one day left in the MLB season. Ted Williams is facing a doubleheader, and at the moment, his batting average is .398 or whatever whatever it is. It rounds up to 400, and he, if he would have sat out the game in the doubleheaders, would have been the first person in over a decade to hit 400 in Major League Baseball. And his coach told him, he said, Ted, just sit out. Like, it'll round up. You'll bat 100. It'll be great. And Ted Williams told his coach, he said, if I'm going to hit 100 or if I'm going to hit 400, I'm going to earn it. And so he played both games in the doubleheader, and he went absolutely insane. I think he got six hits on the entire day. Ended up, instead of just rounding up his – 399 average to 400. He hit 406 and made MLB history as the last person to ever hit for 400 in an MLB season. And we'll bring this up later, but that is to say there's also been a lot of record-breaking going on this MLB season that we'll get to here in a little bit. But to start off, we're going to go into the world of boxing because last night, Canelo Alvarez absolutely dominated Jermel Charlo in a 12-round fight. It went the distance, like I said it would, and I predicted it would be Canelo in a split decision, but it was, in fact, unanimous, and I didn't know it was possible, but it turned out I underestimated Canelo Alvarez because it was just honestly a one-sided, not a beatdown. It was actually a pretty boring fight with not a whole lot of offensive action but Canelo was definitely the aggressor of the entire fight I was keeping a scorecard myself at home and I only gave like two or three rounds to Charlo it was pretty much just Canelo asserting his will over the match the entire time and Canelo his record is now 62 and 2 and Charlo is now 35 2 and 1 Canelo retains his undisputed middleweight championship. And I think the biggest critique I have of the fight from Charlo's end is that he didn't do enough to utilize his height advantage. So he has about three inches, I think, over Canelo. He definitely has a wider wingspan, so he's taller. He's got bigger reach, and he just did not do enough to assert himself and use that to his advantage. There were so many times when... Canelo got Charlo up in the corner, and Charlo would crouch down instead of going over the top and forcing Canelo off of him, you know, clinch, lean on him, put your weight on him. So I just, I don't know why he didn't try more to make his height a factor, but for whatever reason, he just kept going low, and Canelo just kept making him pay for it. Now, I don't know what is next for Charlo, because, like I said, he got thoroughly beat. Like, 
there wasn't one big shot. There was one knockdown the entire fight, and it wasn't so much that Charlo got his bell rung. It was that he did get a pretty good lick, and he just decided to take a knee to force a timeout just to have some time to recuperate. It wasn't like he got forced down. And I don't know, it was just interesting to see Canelo. I think is back in his top tier form. He's still the best non heavyweight in boxing as it stands. And his future is looking bright. You know, he got upset, I think it was two years ago now, and he hasn't been looking in prime shape since then. But I think last night was a return to form. And I'm looking to see more of the same from him going forward. Now, what's in store for him going forward is the big question. After the fight, they asked him about Terrence Crawford. And for those of us that were hoping to see a Canelo-Terrence Crawford fight, it doesn't look very likely. Canelo said that, you know, I always say if the fight makes sense, why not? But he's not in the plan. Like I said, if it makes sense, maybe I don't know right now. I'm just going to enjoy this fight. So he didn't come out and say that there's no shot of it happening, but just that for him, he doesn't see it in the cards right now. And I think it just all has to do with the fact that Canelo loves a good challenge. He wants to push himself. And to him, it wouldn't be pushing himself to cut down to two, three different weight classes to fight Terrence Crawford. He thinks it would be an easy win, maybe not an easy win, but he thinks that he could do a pretty good job of winning that. He wants to push himself and try to go up in weight and try to, you know, knock on the big boy's door, which I understand that from a just mental, you know, I had to always keep the eye of the tiger standpoint. But from a financial standpoint, the, I think he's passing up on a big money match for Terrence Crawford. And also just from a general boxing popularity standpoint, I think outside of the heavyweight division, Canelo versus Terrence Crawford is the biggest fight boxing could put on right now. And if I'm a promoter, I'm trying to make it happen. But it just doesn't look like Canelo's interested. Now, what he may be interested in is Jermel Charlo's brother, Jamal, Jamal, who hasn't fought in two years. So I'm not sure how good the fight would actually be. But from a intrigue standpoint, it would certainly be a draw just because it's a pretty easy story to tell. I just beat your brother. Let's see if you can do any better. Now, Jamal Charlo hasn't fought in two years because he's been having an ongoing mental health issue. He was at the fight last night to cheer his brother on so maybe he can get motivated to get back in the ring and take on Canelo but it's looking like that's what Canelo's interested in I believe let me see if I can find the quote yeah he said uh he wants the other Charlo and that they're all the same to him so I guess if I'm Jamal that's certainly a lot more money than he's made in the last probably his entire career. So I would definitely start training for that, even if you don't have a snowball's chance of winning. I think he couldn't put on a worse show than his brother, honestly. Jermel, the entire fight, it just looked like he didn't want to be there. He was passive. 
he only showed signs of life like a handful of times. He just looked like somebody that was trying to survive and was just trying to make it to the end and get paid. And that's pretty much what Terrence Crawford said on Twitter. So Canelo, after the fight, shot down for the time being any shot of him fighting Terrence Crawford. But Jermel Charlo was calling out Terrence Crawford. And he said that I'll fight Terrence Crawford. Let him fight Errol Spence or whatever they got going. Get that out of the way. I'm waiting. And Terrence Crawford shot that down. And he said on Twitter after the fight, y'all, I'm over Jamal Charlo. He's no longer on my list. He went out there and laid down and let Canelo spank him like he was his daddy with no type of resistance. Charlo, you went out sad, didn't even try to win. All you did was try to survive. You should be ashamed of yourself. So harsh words to Charlo from Terrence Crawford. And it looks like there's sort of a middleweight to a welterweight love triangle going on right now where Terrence Crawford wants uh, Canelo. Canelo wants Jamal Charlo. Jamel Charlo wants Terrence Crawford, but Terrence Crawford doesn't want Jamel. They can make a reality show out of the backstage shenanigans of boxing right now because it's starting to look like the WWE. But Terrence Crawford is officially fighting Errol Spence. Errol opted into his rematch with Terrence Crawford this week, and the fight is set to take place sometime early next year. They haven't set a date for it yet. Now, I said a couple weeks back that if Errol Spence really wanted to rebuild his career and be competitive in boxing again, that he would decline the rematch, work his way back up the ranks, and then fight Terrence Crawford again. And he opted not to do that, and I don't have high hopes for him in the fight. Like, it's just simple. If somebody beats you pretty decisively, then no matter how hard you train, unless, like, you're just a -a one-of-a-kind athlete, which, I mean, I'm sure Errol Spence thinks that he is. I mean, he's better than 95% of the athletes out there. I'll give him that. But the chances of him coming back and just – training harder and beating Terrence Crawford, it's just not likely right now. It would have to take him honing and developing his skills some more over the course of at least two years before he would have a realistic shot, I think, of beating Crawford. Because it's not like their first fight was some, you know, nail biter. It was pretty much just Terrence Crawford having his way with Errol Spence the same way that Canelo had his way with Charlo last night which is why I haven't seen anybody talk about a rematch between Canelo and Charlo just because there's no interest in it because Canelo proved that he was just undeniably better than Charlo. And I think it's kind of the same way with Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. There's going to be a lot less demand for it because the first fight was so lopsided and Errol Spence hasn't fought anybody since then to show that, hey, maybe – he does have a good shot this time of taking a Terrence Crawford. So there's no real drama in it. I think it'll just be a continuation of the first fight. Now, it could be a lot more competitive. I mean, you can always take a good lesson from a butt kicking. So, I mean, Errol Spence, I'm sure he'll go back to the drawing board, work on what didn't work well last time. And I'm sure he'll come back better than he was in the last fight. 
but he's not going to come back better than Terrence Crawford, which if that's what he wants to be, that that should be his goal as a boxer is to take down Terrence Crawford. And it's not good for his psyche to jump into the fight when he's not ready for it. And I don't think he's ready for it. It remains to be seen. Maybe he'll prove me wrong for his sake. I hope so, because I think back-to-back losses to Terrence Crawford would just completely not ruin his career, but it would set him back a long time as far as building a reputation. It would turn him into the welterweight version of Deontay Wilder, who was a world champion until he challenged Tyson Fury, and he got beat twice in a row and haven't heard a peep out of him since. He's had one fight in the last two years, and it was a first-round knockout against a fighter who was well below his station just to get some air back under his step after he did get beat and been embarrassed in that second fight against Tyson Fury. So hopefully that's not what's in store for Errol Spence, but I don't have high hopes. Now on to Tyson Fury. He just signed to fight Alexander Uskits, a Ukrainian boxer in Raida, Saudi Arabia, either in December or also early next year to unify the heavyweight titles. Now, Uskic is 21-0. Tyson Fury is the man in boxing right now. Him and Canelo Alvarez are the two faces of boxing. And after this fight, it'll be the first time the titles have been unified since Lennox Lewis back in the early 2000s. Now, Usyk was the one that ruined the Anthony Joshua-Tyson Fury fight when he beat Anthony Joshua last year. So, it should be a good match. I was really, really wanting to see Fury-Joshua just because Anthony Joshua is a bigger name here in America than Usyk is, so it had a lot more celebrity mass appeal. But, I mean, for boxing fans... The chance to see a unification heavyweight title fight, you can't ask for more than that, especially when it has been so long since the heavyweight championship has been unified. So I think that's an exciting fight to be on the lookout for. And my my money's on Tyson Fury. I think he's undeniably the best heavyweight in boxing right now. At least he was as of his last fight. Now it has been almost two years, so maybe things have changed. Not two years. His last major fight was two years ago. Now, things might have changed since then. He's getting a little bit older. But as we've last seen him, he was the champ of the heavyweight division. So if he looks any what similar to how he did against Deontay Wilder in their third fight, then I expect him to win this one. Now, speaking of Deontay Wilder, I have pretty much just been dogging him for the last couple of minutes about the example of what not to do if you're a top heavyweight fighter, but he is trying to rebuild his career and somebody else who's trying to rebuild their career is Anthony Joshua after the aforementioned upset from Uskic last year. So it looks like they're both trying to help each other out because Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua are currently in talks to a fight but according to the latest reports, there have been some barricades set up because of money. 
because money is always the biggest issue in these kind of events. So it looks like they can agree on a cut or something like that. But hopefully for the sake of both of their careers, they can put that stuff on the back burner, get the financials figured out, and then have a great match. And I think whoever wins, it would go a long way in helping their career get back on their feet. Now, Deontay Wilder is 37 years old, so I don't know how much longer he would have in the boxing world, even if he did win the fight. But I'd love to watch it. I think it'd be fun. I don't think either one of them will seriously challenge Tyson Fury as the best heavyweight in boxing, but it could be a really just fun fight to watch, which is sometimes all you need. So... As it stands with the state of boxing, you've got Camelo looking forward to possibly fighting Jamal Charlo if he can get him out of semi-retirement. You've got Tyson Fury fighting to unify the heavyweight titles here in a couple months. You've got Terrence Crawford throwing rocks on Canelo Alvarez's window like he's Romeo, but so far Canelo has not opened the window, so... Hopefully, he keeps throwing rocks and can crack through the glass because I'd love to see the fight, but it's not very promising right now, and he should set his sights on his rematch with Errol Spence. As much as I've talked about how it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he'll win, you can never take yourself too seriously as a boxer. you got to always pretend like you could lose on you could lose any match. Just ask Mike Tyson after he got beat by Buster Douglas, so... He needs to focus on his rematch with Errol Spence and not let Canelo take up too much of his attention or he could get upset. Now, Canelo just, for what it's worth, made, I think, 40 to $50 million off the fight last night. And I got to talking with a buddy of mine. I was like, isn't it crazy to think that obviously they train for months leading up to the fight? But, like, realistically, they only work if you're a top boxer 36 minutes a year and they get paid 50 million and obviously like you can't put a price on the physical damage that they do to the ring i mean there's a reason that boxers end up in such bad shape the older they get just because the work they do is so dangerous but it's just crazy when you look at it like that like that's just wild how much money they make for a fight now on to basketball The biggest development of this NBA season took place this week when Patrick Riley got his heart broken when he got that ESPN alert that said, the Portland Trail Blazers have traded Damian Lillard to the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Bucks get Dame, Portland gets Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, Tumani Kamara, Milwaukee's 2029 unprotected first-round draft pick, and some 2028 and 2030 picks. Now, the Suns somehow got it on this trade, too. And the Suns got Yusef Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. Not to be confused with Keyshawn Johnson, the Fox Sports commentator. Now, Drew Holiday, who got traded to the Trailblazers, Basically, immediately got traded from them to the Celtics. So, he's on the Celtics now. And Damian Lillard is on the Bucks, which I think makes them the favorite in the East. 
just off the top of my head, that's the most devastating point guard, small forward, forward combination I can think of. I mean, if you just change it to guard-forward combo, Devin Booker and KD could have something to say about that, but I would take Dame and Giannis over that. So I think it makes the Bucks the favorites. You know, Giannis a couple weeks back was saying that he would be willing to leave the Bucks if they didn't show they were serious about winning a championship. And boy, did they take that threat seriously because now I don't think he has any room to complain if they don't win the championship this year. Now, short of injuries, which you can't help, the only way they lose is if they play bad. Or at least the only way they don't make the finals is if they play bad. And part of that would be on Giannis. Now, Giannis spoke out about the trade for the first time just yesterday, and he started off by talking about how he loved Drew Holiday and how Drew was a brother to him. He used the F-bomb a lot in that quote for some reason, but he pretty much just sent his love to Drew and also at the same time said that he's excited to play with Dame. Now, I do feel bad for Drew since it was pretty much Giannis's comments that sent him packing in the first place. I mean, maybe the Bucks should have been looking for the deal anyways, but I think the second that he made that threat in the media, the Bucks front office pretty much went in panic alert to try to make a big deal to keep him. And boy, did they. So Pat Riley and the Heat, this pretty much crushed any chance I think they had of being a serious contender. Now, they've had two Cinderella runs to the NBA Finals in the last four years. So you certainly can't discount the Heat. At the same time, if they would have gotten Damian Lillard, I think it would have made them, if not the favorites in the East, certainly a top two team, and it would be down to either them or the Bucks. But now that they don't have Damian Lillard, I think that you can make a decent argument that they're fourth in the East, maybe even fifth, depending on how highly you think of the 76ers and Joel Embiid and whatever they end up doing with James Harden. But that's a different story that we'll get to in a second. But at the moment, I think this is great for the Bucks and really bad for the Heat. And the Heat have been the Bucks' kryptonite in the NBA playoffs over the last couple years. So any deal that can both raise the Bucks and degrade the Heat is way in the Bucks' favor because the way they lose to the Heat is pretty much every time the Heat set up a defensive wall and they block out Giannis and he can't shoot, so he has to pass it to his lesser talented teammates and they pretty much make the other Bucks besides Giannis beat them, which they've had a hard time doing. Now, though, with Damian Lillard, one of the best shooters and scorers in the league, Giannis has a solid number two option, no offense to Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who can take a game over on his own. And whenever the Heat build up that wall, if they do meet the Bucks in the playoffs, he's not dishing it to Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton now. He's dishing it to Damian Lillard, and that is dangerous, especially dangerous for Miami. So I hope they play each other in the playoffs just because that would make for such a fun matchup story-wise and even competitive-wise. I mean, I think the Heat could still 
give a good showing, I, I think they'd lose, but it could still be fun to watch. Now, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Bame, they might – they're definitely one of the best big threes, I think, in the league. I mean, they're not a super team by any stretch. But I think this is a great move for the Bucks and early NBA Finals prediction – Nuggets and Bucks, which I would love to see because I know whenever Levi's been on here, me and him have talked about who's better, Giannis or Jokic. And I would love to see them get to duke it out for that title of who's the best player in the world in the NBA Finals, where the two best players in the world should be. So I'm excited. I think that that kind of sent an energizing vault into the NBA season now. Did Portland do good in the trade? I don't really see how. I mean, they already got rid of Drew Holiday. I mean, maybe DeAndre Ayton could be a good piece for them to build around in the future, but I think Portland will probably take a couple years to rebuild, and then we'll see what the long-term implications of the trade are. But in the short term, the Bucks definitely won. Now, continuing on basketball, this isn't much of a long segment, but I do think it's worth mentioning that Bronny James missed his first practice at USC just this week. So it looks like he's still recovering from the cardiac incident that he had a couple weeks or a couple months back. So hopefully he's able to make it to practice soon. And I know that ESPN didn't include him in their first mock draft that they've released for the hypothetical draft for next year. So I hope that he can get his health situation figured out. And even if he's not healthy enough to be able to seriously go in on this basketball thing, he's got plenty of other opportunities. So I hope he just does what's best for him. Now, I briefly mentioned James Harden earlier. He's still holding out against the 76ers. He was recently caught videoed at a strip club where the strippers or girls in the club are holding up signs that said Daryl Morey is a liar. Now, Daryl Morey is a 76ers general manager who used to be on great terms with James Harden. He's the reason James Harden's in Philadelphia in the first place. But allegedly, Morey made a handshake agreement to James Harden about a contract resolution and that he's apparently pulled out of. So James Harden's just throwing in the towel and mad and wants out. And I don't really see where James Harden is going to end up. I think if you're the 76ers, you have to trade him just because you don't want that hanging over your head for the entire season. I mean, I hope that it'd be cool if he could – go to the Celtics or somewhere like that. Maybe he could go to the Heat now. If he went to the Heat, then I think that they could actually have a chance of being competitive and top-tier contenders in the West. Now, would James Harden and Jimmy Butler get along very well? I don't think so whatsoever. I think they're just two polar opposite personalities. But it remains to be seen. I think James Harden is the last missing piece of the puzzle to determining where the winds of the NBA season are blowing. And we'll just have to wait and see what he decides to do. 
Now, the MLB playoffs start this week. The NLDS starts next weekend. Meanwhile, the wild card series start this week. And it'll be exciting to see how that plays out. The Brewers still don't know who they're playing. Neither do the Phillies. And the only wild card team that's for certain is the Blue Jays and the Twins. They play October 3rd, so this Tuesday. I hope the Phillies can win whoever they play, just because I would love to see Braves-Phillies playoff series. That rivalry's always been fun for me. And I don't know, we'll just have to wait and see what the actual playoff picture looks like before I go in-depth on predictions with that. But as the Braves season winds down to a close, there are a certain amount of milestones that are worth noting. So Acuna set the franchise record for stolen bases with 73, passing Otis's Nixon's 72 stolen bases from the 91 season. Spencer Strider breaks John Smoltz's single-season strikeout record, and Matt Olson set the Braves' single-season home run and RBI record with 54 home runs. So it's just been a record-breaking season for the Braves, and I hope they can continue to fire on all cylinders into the playoffs. I think they're the team to beat, and we'll just have to see if they can live up to those expectations or if they fall into the same trap that the Braves in the 90s did, having all the expectations on your shoulders and coming up short. I hope we see more of 95 in 2021 than 98 and 96, but we'll just have to see. I'm excited, though, for the playoffs, and I like their chances. With the NFL, so last week I made a little offhanded joke about the Taylor Swift-Travis Elsey thing, and I did not expect that to blow into such a social media phenomenon. But that has been pretty much the talk of the sports world for the last week. Forget Canelo, Charlo, forget Damian Lillard. Taylor Swift has been the most talked about in sports, which both hurts me and makes me laugh. It's just funny. I saw the TikToks going on about how girls have been to make their boyfriends or husbands mad or even just guy friends. They talk about how Taylor Swift put Travis Kelsey on the map and all the guys instantly get triggered and talk about how everybody knows who Travis Kelsey is. You know, he's one of the best tight ends of all time. And it reminded me of back when a couple of years ago, Kendall Jr. was dating Devin Booker. And I saw on Snapchat, it was like, all you need to know about Kendall Jr.'s new boyfriend, Devin Booker. And I was like, what do you mean? Everybody knows Devin Booker, don't they? Like, he's a celebrity. But it just goes to show you how much of a bubble sports is and how there are very few sports figures who are mainstream celebrities. At the moment, I think the only real sports people who are mainstream celebrities are LeBron, Patrick Mahomes, Steph Curry, Conor McGregor. And he hasn't even fought in the UFC in like two years. So I'm kind of being loose counting him. Uh, 
that's pretty much it. There's really not that many mainstream athlete celebrities in there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he's one. So Travis Kelsey definitely doesn't make the cut. He's one of those people that sports fans know, but the average guy on the street doesn't. Until now, I think look, the whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing, I think it's just a marketing business ploy. I think it's kind of a I'll scratch your back. I'll scratch that. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. She gets to be the talk of the town in a completely different realm than she's ever been to. Like, She's the most talked about person in the NFL for the last week. That's great for her brand. I mean, I didn't know it was possible for Taylor Swift to get any more famous, but here we are. Travis Kelsey, his jersey sales have shot up 400% over the last week. So he's making more money just from Taylor Swift coming to one of his games from his merchandise royalties than he's probably made for his entire career. So I think whatever they've got going on, it's working out well for both of them business-wise. I don't think they're dating. I don't think they will date. I mean, he got caught leaving her apartment. They play the Jets tonight, and she apparently has a place in New York. So they're going steady enough where he can lounge at her place. So who knows? But I think this is mostly business, and they're just kind of using each other to get their names out there even more. So good for them. Uh, For Travis Kelsey's sake, I hope he doesn't get a song written about him. But we'll see. That would honestly be good for his brand, too. And the Chiefs play the Jets here in like an hour. I'm expecting them to roll through that game. I mean, Zach Wilson's great, but he's no Aaron Rodgers. And just Aaron Rodgers getting put out in the first game hurts so much because just think about how much more exciting this Chiefs-Jets game would be if Aaron Rodgers were playing. That would actually be like one of the top matchups of the season, in my opinion. Now, currently, the Cowboys are whooping up on the Patriots, which is good because Dak Prescott has not been having a very good season so far, and he could use some extra pep in his step. But Matt Jones has just been having a rough game. He's had a fumble. He's thrown some picked-off passes, and... He's just not looking too good. I think that of all the top Alabama quarterbacks in the NFL right now, not counting Bryce Young just because, but him, Jalen Hurts, and Tua, he's very clearly the worst of the bunch. But hopefully he can sort it out. I mean, he's kind of inheriting Tom Brady's mantle as the Patriots franchise quarterback. And those are big, big shoes to fill. So, I mean, he had an uphill battle uphill battle to begin with. And it's just not going well for him, but I hope he can figure it out. Now, the Ravens have been figuring it out so far, despite modest predictions for him. They're 3-1. and one. They absolutely dominated the Browns this weekend, for whatever that's worth. Now, Odell's already injured, so that's not good. I think any playoff success they might have is contingent upon how good Odell does. 
and how available he is, but maybe this isn't typically how injuries go, but hopefully the injury bug bit him early in the season. He can bounce back, have a good rest of the season, and just kind of get his injury out of the way early and be ready for if they do make the playoffs. Now, in college football, nothing earth-shattering happened over the weekend. Georgia almost got upset by Auburn, but they won 27-20, to and they maintained their top spot. I was kind of thinking they might drop down to number two since they almost got beat by USC a couple weeks back, and now they almost got beat by Auburn, but they hung on at number one. Michigan stays two. Texas jumps up to third, and Ohio State stays at four. So those, I think, are going to be the big four teams for the year. Alabama had a pretty dominant win over Mississippi State. That slid them up to 11th. And USC beat Colorado 49-41. to Now, obviously, Colorado is not a top contender. They're more of an NFL or NCAA sideshow. But... Their defense has just been atrocious the last two games. They've had over 90 points put up on them. So I think that's going to be their biggest flaw that they need to work on going forward. But we'll see if Deion Sanders can do that. But on a college football, I think the season's been pretty predictable so far, minus Alabama losing to Texas. But... I kind of expect the trajectory to just stay the same. Now, if Alabama can work its way slowly back up and be a dark horse to make the playoffs, that'd be exciting for sure. But I'm kind of expecting it to just be Georgia, Michigan, Texas, and Ohio State for the rest of the year, which that'd be a juggernaut of a playoff. I mean, you can't say it wouldn't, so we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. And... That's all we've got for you this week. So reach out to the podcast, email, text your questions. If you have any topics you want to co- you want to see covered on here, let me know. If not, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, X, or X as it is now, Facebook, and YouTube, and we'll see you next time.